0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america NA, a AM member fdsc hey everyone i'm megan teets and this is sort of awesome <laughs> Welcome back to the show, where every week we go exploring in the pursuit of awesome. You can count on us to keep you informed of all the best shiny things out there when we share our awesome of the week. In each episode, we also take your questions and bring you the answers you need to help you uncover all the awesome within your own life. I'm joined today by Laura of HollywoodHousewife.com. Laura is one of my nearest and dearest friends, and she's also a regular co-host of the show. Today, we are teaming up to bring you a special episode all about anxiety. Now, I know that totally sounds like a bummer topic, but because both of us have experience in battling anxiety, we wanted to create a show that not only discusses this mental health issue, but also shares some of our own strategies and techniques that we have found to help us cope with it. Now, before we start the show with Awesome of the Week, I wanted to give you a little reminder that Laura and I are so looking forward to meeting some of you on September 20th here in Oklahoma City. At four o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to gather at Blue Garden, the food truck park in the Midtown neighborhood of Oklahoma City. It's going to be a very casual time of talking and just getting to hang out in real life. I created a Facebook event page for the Oklahoma City Hangout. In fact, if you search Facebook for Sorta Awesome Hangout OKC, you'll see the event page. You can click on that event page and let us know if you are coming to the Hangout or if you even maybe think you'll be here. That'll help us to get a headcount and to know if we can look forward to seeing you in real life on September 20th here in Oklahoma City. So now we're going to start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Laura, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's hear it.
1: My Awesome of the Week is that I shave my face. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) What? I have been shaving my face. And it
0: is awesome. I I don't even know what to say right now. You're going to have to... No, you have to fill me in on the awesome part of this. <laughs> okay. It,
1: this is actually a follow-up to something that I posted on my blog a couple of months ago and then wrote about in my secret posts, which are my newsletter that I do monthly mm-hmm. to blog readers. I read this thing, and I linked out to it, and then it generated all this discussion. Apparently, a lot of people... Shave their face. A lot of people who are women shave their faces? Women, obviously, women. Okay, because I am not the only person who struggles with, (laughs) I guess it's called peach fuzz on their face, like hair. I have fine hair all over my face. Now, I haven't always, this is new in the last, I don't know, two years. I think my hormones really changed after Uh, I had a baby. Yes. And, you know, changed up. My birth control and, and all kinds of things. My hormones went through, went all kinds of wackadoo. And one of the things that came out of that, as I as I have evened out, I think, but one of the side effects is that I have this peach fuzz all over my face. Now, it's blonde. My hair's really light, but it's noticeable. Okay. Really? I know. Now, I've always waxed my um, lip and my... Brows. No, I didn't even know that.
0: Really? I did not. I did not. No. You don't wax your lip. I do not. Have you seen my eyebrows? Also, they are very unnatural. <laughs> <au> <laughs> I don't even. I don't even touch them with tweezers. So no. But I had no idea that that you were doing that. But so okay. So shaving. Seemed well, like it's not a natural jump. I'll give you. <laughs>
1: Noticed it. Like, and I have been I've been waxing my lip, my upper lip for for years. Um, just because when I had makeup on, you could sort of see those baby hairs, or when I put lipstick on, you could sort of see those baby hairs. And the woman who waxed my eyebrows and has for years offered it one time, you know, do you want me to wax your lip? And I was like, I guess I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Because some when someone asks you, the sort of implied answer is. I need somebody to wax my upper lip for me. Right.
1: But now when I started having sort of the hormone issues, or maybe it's an age thing. I'm not even sure. But when I started noticing that that the baby hairs were not just above my lip, in fact, (laughs) but were all over my face like a bear. (laughs) So... So, I didn't research it or Google it or anything, although I had a friend who had told me that she'd waxed her whole face um, instead of just her lip. And I was like, oh, that just seems so abrasive to me to wax your sure. whole face. Yeah, yikes. So, I came across this article um, on, they call it in the beauty industry, dermaplaning.
0: Oh, wow, well, that is, sounds a lot better than female shaving. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Doesn't that sound more sophisticated? Yes. But what it basically is is shaving your face. But before that, so then I started Googling and and whatever when I found that that first article, posted it, a ton of discussion came up on my Facebook page. And I realized that a way to do it was to use like basically like nair, you know, nair hair removal that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be for your legs or bikini line or something. Yes. Um, Oil of Olay makes the same type of product specifically for your face. Oh, I had no idea. So, I decided to try that first because that just seemed less abrasive than waxing and less crazy than shaving. So, I got this oil of Olay stuff, which is called Facial Hair Removal Duo. And it's like a two part cream. It's just like if you've ever used Nair, it's just exactly the same thing without the smell. Where you put like a cream on your face and then you wait a few minutes and then you wipe it off. Um, it worked. It definitely removed all the baby fuzz, but it was. It made my skin feel rough.
0: Hmm.
1: Huh. I didn't like the texture. It made yeah. my f- skin feel like um, I, what's I, like hard, or something. I didn't. Just not soft and lovely. Okay. It did not feel that way. So I tried it, and I was like, "Well, that worked." I do think that the hair is gone, but I just I feel it didn't make me feel young and dewy. It made me feel rough around the edges, old and scratchy, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is not even what you're trying to go for when you're getting rid of some peach fuzz. You don't want scratchy left. Oh,
1: made me feel like I had applied a chemical to my face. Right. And so. So so then I decided, all right, you know what, you guys, I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to shave my face. So the first round, I got these. Um, it's You're not using like a razor like a man. Oh. I just want to clarify like that. Oh. I mean, you're using a, a razor, but it's um, because you know that they say that's the reason that men look yes. better as they age It's because you. they have been shaving for thirty years. They've been basically deep exfoliating right. daily
0: for you know their whole adult life. Yes, I, I. That's so true.
1: It's so true. But they have these specific razors, not for. Um, they don't look like men. You know, it doesn't look like Gillette.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> See, you're you're changing my whole viewpoint on. On the shaving issue, because I, re- I thought you were in there with, a, like, a can of Barbasol and a Gillette razor, like, going to town on your face, Laura, and I was concerned. I guess you could do that. There's no reason that says
1: you can't do that. Oh. Um, but that's that's not, that doesn't feel like part of my routine. So-
0: <laughs> okay, right, right, right.
1: So they make a a couple of different brands make razors, and I've tried two of them. The first one I tried is called Tinkle Tinkle. All right.
0: There we go. It's
1: an unfortunate (laughs) brand name, but that's what it's called, Tinkle. And I bought those on Amazon. I tried them. It was fine, but I was like, hey, you know, I don't really know about this. This seems a lot of maintenance. A friend recently gave me um, Shishido razors. And I will say that this same friend is Korean and has beautiful skin, hmm. beautiful, gorgeous skin. And um, she told me that Korean women have been doing this for a long time. This is a very common thing. Anyway, she gave me these shishido razors. And they don't look like um, razors you shave your legs with or like men razors. They're like long with like a little – They kind you know those things that you use to um, floss your teeth? Ah, that yeah. come like in a little pick kind right, of right. thing. Mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're almost like that, but envision like a lot bigger. And then they just have sort of a slight sort of straight razor on the end. So it's sort of like a Interesting. long thing. And you just moisturize your face really well, like almost, you know, where you like so thickly that you can almost see the moisturizer. This uh-huh. is what I did. And then you just go sort of straight down your face. This is
0: fascinating to me. Fascinating.
1: And so I did my cheeks and I I read that some people did their forehead. I didn't need it on my forehead or near my hairline. That's not where I was having my issue. <laughs> my issue was on my cheeks. Anyway, I did it and I did it above on my lip too because I was due for a wax and but I'm now now we're shaving. So, um what I liked about it. So, here's the benefits. If you're like, but why would one do this? <laughs> it does make your face look younger.
0: Well, I believe it. I mean, like you said, I mean, that's a lot of moisturizing and a lot of exfoliating that's going on there.
1: But I mean, instantly even. Not wow. like over a regimen because, and especially, and I don't wear makeup every day, like facial, like foundation makeup every day, but I but I do most days, several times a week. And when I put those on, it looks so much better. Like noticeably... Notice, it goes on smoother. It doesn't, the hairs don't glint in the light. (laughs) When the
0: sunlight catches them just so.
1: (laughs) And I just want to say, if people haven't ever seen me, I feel like I'm describing myself like the the old woman in Hansel and Gretel.
0: (laughs) No. No. I don't
1: look like a craggy old woman. <laughs>
0: craggy. No, you don't. I never would have. I never would have guessed that you were having this issue going on. So, I mean, prior to the facial shaving, you've been camouflaging it really well. I have to say, and I, I'm honestly, I'm really intrigued because. I have been thinking about face care and anti-aging care a lot lately. And I think it's because, and I talked about this on the show, we just finished binge watching The Good Wife. Laura, literally, like by season five, I was Googling, like late night Googling, Julianna Margulies' skincare (laughs) regime because her skin looks amazing. To the point where I would get distracted, I'd be like, she's almost 50. Her face is incredible. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And I'm very, very intrigued to hear that it is, um, it's promoting a youthful glow. Well, you know what else? This is a bonus awesome. But if we're going to talk about, because I can
1: talk about skincare, and I can talk about vanity products for the rest of this show. (laughs) But my other, my my bonus awesome of the week that I will present to you is I have just been putting straight vitamin E oil on mm. my face. Yeah,
0: it's good. It's good for the wrinkles. That's my thing. My forehead. It's good. Is
1: like, it's like, it's like amazing. It's like youth in a bottle.
0: Like no essential oil, nothing added. It's, it's literally just like vitamin E, what, capsules and or you, no, you no, get no. a bottle you can buy- of it?
1: At Trader Joe's, I buy, like, just straight vitamin E oil. You can get it anywhere. At the drugstore, you can get vitamin E oil. And and you put it, you it know, on when? When do you put it on? Like,
0: before bed? Or- before
1: bed. I, I like to shower at night, and I sort of exfoliate and stuff, and then put a product on. And I've used lots of expensive products. And I started using the vitamin E oil because in the summer, I'm in the sun a lot and trying to avoid sun damage, and I get, you know, kind of dry and dehydrated and, you know, my skin's just not fantastic in general. So, I started the vitamin E oil on recommendation of the person who does my facials and I don't think you're supposed to do it every night. It's just too it's too much for that, but I when I'm having a skin problem, I've been doing it every day my my skin looks fantastic.
0: I'll tell you what, I'm going to start with vitamin E oil and if it doesn't bring the results I need, maybe we'll move on to the shaping and see what happens. <laughs> Well, you don't want to shave if you don't have hair. I don't. Do I? I don't know. When you're here in a couple of weeks, you can inspect my face and tell me if you think I need to shave. You don't
1: have – You do not, I will tell you if you need to shave. You don't have the hair problem I was having because it's noticeable. Yeah. It's, no, I – yeah. not, I'm not trying to give anyone a complex. Like, they need to go deep inspect their pores right now. If you have it, you know it.
0: Okay. Okay. I feel a little better feel a little better okay this has been the most enlightening awesome of the week we have had in a long time so (laughs) thank you for that laura tremaine
1: (laughs) what is your awesome and can it top that no 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 no
0: no it is it pales in comparison to the to the revelation of of shaving i mean i got to get my head back in the game so i can concentrate (laughs) what was my awesome of the week um Okay. So my awesome of the week is a recipe. And y'all, this may be one of the very few times you ever hear me share a recipe as awesome of the week, because I am just like, I'm a proficient cook. I, I can follow a recipe. I can make some meals, but I am not somebody that people are like, oh wow, she's, she's fantastic. Um, but there is one thing that I can make really well and that People kind of know me for making, and I feel like I can brag about it because it's not my recipe. Um, it is a recipe for a very simple, very delicious chocolate cake. Mm. My And you've had the chocolate cake. I have. Mm. It's it's really good. My mother-in-law gave me this recipe. When Kyle and I got married, we were little tiny baby children. <laughs> my mother-in-law gave me a recipe box of family favorite recipes. She called this her 20-minute cake. Wait, that is a really sweet gift. It is. It was very sweet. She's so thoughtful. She's, she's fantastic. Amazing lady. So she gave me this whole box of uh, family favorites. This 20-minute cake was in there. I didn't make it for years. I don't know why. I, I think really because, I mean, I'm not actually really a big cake person. Like, I'll eat a pie or some cookies, but cake is not really one of my favorites. And usually because a lot of times cakes can be really dry. I agree. So when I finally started making this cake, I was like, well, this is like kind of a miracle because it's very not dry. It's very um, rich. And um, the result, it's really, really, I mean, it's it's a memorable cake. So I'm going to share it as my awesome of the week. Now I realize it's hard to share recipes on here. So I'm going to tell you, I mean, of course, I'll put a link in the show notes. I blogged about it years ago. If you followed me for a long time, you know I've talked about this cake several times in the past because, you guys, it is so easy, and yet people seem to really love it. So... It's one of those that you want in your arsenal because you can take it to a friend who's just had a baby. You can take it to someone who's just moved into a new house. I've even taken it to people when they're going through some kind of a sad event. Um, When one of my very close friends here in town, uh, she and her husband had found their dream house. They had a contract on it. A bunch of bad stuff happened. The contract fell through. She was so bummed. I took her a chocolate cake. Because when I'm sad, I need a chocolate cake. Sometimes you need a chocolate cake when you're in the midst of the sadness. So this is a no-fail recipe. If you follow it, it's so forgiving. You cannot mess it up. If you Google sort of crunchy favorite chocolate cake, you will find it. But I will put a link in the show notes. The cake has two secrets to it. The first secret is it calls for an inappropriate amount of butter and sugar. The cake Oh, is,
1: that's why it's so good. <laughs>
0: the cake is built on butter, sugar, and white flour. So y'all, it is not health food by any stretch. But it's a great treat for every now and again. The other secret, the reason that it comes out so, I hate this word, but so moist and so not dry and crumbly, <laughs> <laughs> let's just speed past that word, is buttermilk. Now, oh. I never have buttermilk on hand because unless you're like southern cook in the kitchen making buttermilk biscuits every week. Do you keep buttermilk on hand? I never have it on hand.
1: No, not on hand, but I do I have some recipes that call for it, so I'll just
0: Well, I just use my this is the one thing that I do change a little bit about the recipe, my favorite buttermilk hack, which is 1 tablespoon of white vinegar to 1 cup of milk. Set it on your kitchen counter for 5 minutes and you're good to go. It's just as good as buttermilk, so you don't have to go pick up a I don't know, you don't even know how they're sold, a, a quart of buttermilk. You don't have to pick it up and have oh. it in your fridge wasting away because you, because this recipe only calls for half a cup of buttermilk. So it always seemed like such a pain to go buy buttermilk when you only need half a cup. Uh, so you do that. So if you're going to do that for the recipe, then it's a half a tablespoon of white vinegar to half cup of milk. And there you go. And I don't know, Laura, it's just, it's a fantastic chocolate cake. I actually made two of them last night, which is why it's on my mind for Awesome of the Week. Um, Eliza Joy turned eight, and the only thing she wanted in this whole world was to have a block party in our neighborhood for her birthday. Miss Queen of the Extroverts wanted a block party. So we did that. We had the neighbors over. It was fantastic. We had a great night, and I had a couple of chocolate cakes to top off our uh, sort of neighborhood potluck it was fantastic. So, like I said, I will throw a link in the show notes for you all. But again, if you don't make it over to the show notes, which are at sortaawesomemegan.tumblr.com, just Google sorta crunchy favorite chocolate cake and you can thank me later. And I trust that you will because it is such an easy, easy peasy, crowd pleasing favorite. Yum. Yeah. All right, so we are going to move into the main topic of our show this week. Sometimes Laura and I do these shows that are really focused on one topic, and this is a topic that Laura and I actually both feel really passionately about, even though it is kind of a difficult topic sometimes to talk about. We both have felt it's it was a really important topic to cover on the show. Laura has written very honestly about some of her struggles with anxiety in the past and has had readers ask her follow-up questions and... So we thought, let's just tackle it on the show and see what happens. Now, before we start talking about it, I do have to give this disclaimer. Neither Laura or I are medical professionals or professionals in any sense of the word, really, (laughs) but definitely not medical professionals. Nothing that we say in this episode should be considered medical or professional advice. This is simply girlfriend chat about a topic that lots of us deal with. You should never take any medication, prescription or otherwise, without consulting a healthcare provider. And if you think you might be suffering from anxiety, please, please consult with a healthcare provider to receive the best possible care for yourself. Just want to make that clear from the outset. Um, as we've talked about how to talk about anxiety on the show, we sort of decided the best way to start is to just simply share our stories. Both of us really believe in the power of personal story for informing others about things that are important and relevant in this world to talk about. So I'm going to let Laura start us out. She and I, though we both have battled anxiety, both of us come at this struggle from very different perspectives. So I'm going to let Laura start us off by telling her story of anxiety.
1: I am so glad that we are going to talk about anxiety today because I feel really passionately about talking about this topic because... Adult women, I think, are really scared to talk about it. There's a lot of shame wrapped up in this topic. And, um, you know, I just read that the National Institute of Mental Health reports that 40 million American adults, 18% of American adults, most of them women, suffer at some point from anxiety.
0: That is and, a staggering number.
1: I mean, that's a huge amount of people. Yeah. And I, and I think that a lot of people don't talk about it unless it is very extreme, when a lot of people are sort of living with mild anxiety. And so I just think that talking about it in all its forms that we're going to cover today, I I think is just really important for people to hear. My story starts as a child. I have had anxiety my whole life. I don't ever remember not having it. When I was a kid, uh, my mom tells me I was probably about three which is the age of my son now, so that really hits home especially, I just started exhibiting a lot of pretty severe anxious behaviors. I pulled my hair out at the roots, so I would pull my hair uh, until it was bald. And this went on into my teens. I mean, I, I, I pulled my hair for my life. So that started when I was very young. I also started not being able to eat very many foods. I've always had a, I think now it's hard to tell because, you know, you're looking back in hindsight, but I think now this would probably be diagnosed as like a sensory disorder. Sure. Right. I couldn't mix foods in my mouth. I could only eat one food at a time. I couldn't have a food that had a lot of different textures like, you know, I don't know, spaghetti or lasagna, you know, something that was all mixed together I could not eat that I would throw I would pitch real fits which when kids are really small you just think that they're a picky eater they're being bratty I will say that my mom recognized that I wasn't being bratty that I was having like an emotional reaction to um sensory several different kinds of sensory things and that, and I just lived that way. And she made ex- exceptions for me. She would, you know, cook me a different food on the side or whatever, which, I, you know, sometimes I think people think that you're coddling a child that is having an right. extreme emotional reaction to something. And um, in a lot of ways, my parents had no idea how to treat me in the 80s. Mental health, especially in children, was not something that was ever talked about. But I will say that my parents made personal exceptions for me. So my mom did not force me to eat foods that were clearly – Causing me to panic, Mm -hmm. basically. Right. And when I'd pull my hair out, she would try and, you know, help me put it in a ponytail. You know, she would try to help me not do that without without attaching any shame to it. She Mm. wouldn't be like, what are you doing? You know? It was clear I, I had some issues. But I was a good kid. I was a personable kid. I was good in school. As I got a little bit older, when I started grade school, like in second grade, I got such severe mouth sores that my whole bottom... Lip, like you know, underneath my gum, um, my bottom row of teeth was just full, of, full, full of mouth sores. Mm. I was so stressed going to school,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there was and nothing particular. I actually had a bad teacher that year, which I, looking back, I think might have caused that. But, sure. but even besides that, I think I just, I just, my little body was so stressed, right, um, for no obvious external, yes, reasons, yes in the third grade I got my first migraine. Um, I remember it really clearly. I came home from school and I remember how I described, my brother was, I have an older brother who was home and I remember describing it to him how it felt. And then I not literally passed out, but almost the pain was so severe. So, and then I've gone on to have migraines for a, a lot of my life. And so th- I was a child. I mean, that was second, third grade and reading about it now, we're, we're so much more progressed in this area of like kids who have anxiety and how to deal with it. And but at the time, there was none of that. Nobody spoke of it.
0: Definitely not. Yeah,
1: definitely not. My parents were very gentle with me. And like I said, made exceptions for me. I was also very introverted. And so my mom could see that if I was in a situation that was overwhelming, they were protective of me, Mm -hmm. is I guess what I'm trying to say. But there was no actual healing addressed.
0: Right, right. Yes. That very much makes sense for the time when we were growing up. That it, it just, you didn't take your kid in to see a counselor for stuff like this. You just kind of accommodated the best you could as a family, if that. I think you were very fortunate to have parents who did make those accommodations. Not a lot of people who are now our age had that. But yeah, there, it just wasn't a thing the way parents would approach it today.
1: No. And in some ways, you know, people are are a little bit of like, get over it.
0: Sure, right.
1: Even even to children,
0: yes. they are like,
1: you need to pull it together.
0: Right, yes.
1: And so that becomes a refrain in your head for your life of like, I have got to get it together. Like, what is wrong with me? You kind of beat yourself up because things that um, seem easy for other people, people can eat a dish easily or they can go to school easily. For some people, are is like the biggest obstacle of their day is just walking through the day.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I had this always going on. Some of my closest friends knew. Some of my childhood friends knew. I was never really particularly secretive about it. Mm-hmm. The hair thing got a little awkward because, I, you know, as you get older, you care about how you look. And I had bald spots in my head. So that, as I got a little older, I was a little bit embarrassed about. It. And I also had some repetitive behaviors that I did. I would uh, bounce a ball, um over and over, you know, the equivalent of sort of the cliche, I, I hate to use the stereotype, but you'll know what I mean, like a kid kind of rocking in the corner.
0: Right. Yes. Right.
1: Um, I had very repetitive, uh, rhythmic movements that were similar to that. But I do I do want to say, I feel like I'm describing the most severe of the symptoms. Those were all going on frequently. But also, I mean, I was really normal looking on the outside. Sure. I, could, yeah. I had lots of friends. I was academic. I... Um, and had extracurricular activities and all that, I wasn't to the point where, which I know some children get to, where you're just like, can't leave the house. It wasn't like that because I did learn, and this would be a coping skill that I would employ forever, um, how to pull it together for short bursts of time. Yeah. And then when I would go home, I would not fall apart because it wasn't that dire, but when I would go home, I would use all, of, all of my things would come mm, out.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes you sense. You know, when I'd
1: get home from school, I'd sit in front of the TV and pull on my hair and I, you know, those yes. sort of behaviors would come out when I was in a safer environment, but at, you know, I could, I could be very normal for long stretches. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Like I, to me, my anxiety is factual. Yes. It never had a lot of I mean, it's factual as any other condition or something that one would have. And I think that's, you know, not a there's no benefits to having lifelong anxiety. But, like, just if you've had it your whole life, you've had it. You yes. Know? It's like having absolutely. an allergy or something. Yeah. Um, it's just factual. So, like, I knew I couldn't eat that or I would sort of have panics. So, when I got to be um, a teenager in high school um, is when I started to have more traditional – panicky feelings where my heart would race. I also faced every day before school, I had an intense dread. I mean an intense dread as if you were like going to die. Mm. Like I had a very deep dread every morning. I thought everybody felt that way. You know how they like do like the teenage angst, like everybody hates going to school. That's just what I thought they meant. Like that everybody had the kind of like seriously deep going to the gallows dread. I just thought that's what teenager dumb felt like. Right. And that's also when, because, you know, in a teenager, you're having sort of different pressures, school pressures and whatever. And that's when some of my OCD tendencies came out a little bit. Now, I do not have traditional OCD, like the cliche type. I don't wash my hands or have to line up things in a row or do anything like that. But I do have almost the mental part of that. So I'm I was superstitious. Yes. That's not not the right word. But like where I thought if I didn't do the one thing, then something terrible was going to happen.
0: Right. Yes. Yes.
1: So that's obsessive Mm -hmm. and and compulsive. Um, I wasn't compulsive, like type A compulsive. I was just compulsive. Like I have to do something this way or... Everything else will go wrong.
0: It's so interesting that you said this. I was just talking to my sister Emily before we this morning before we started to um, to tape today's show. She has had lifelong anxiety. She also has OCD. My parents recognized the OCD part when she was a teenager and helped her and, and got her support and medication for the OCD part. But but didn't recognize the anxiety part. Again, it's not something that even when we were teenagers that that parents were really clued into. And she and I were talking about the OCD connection and she stated that she made the statement that one of her doctors through the years have said not everybody who has anxiety issues has OCD, but the vast majority of people who have OCD have major chronic anxiety. There's mm-hmm. a big connection between those two. I never really knew about the connection for you with some of that, especially the obsessive thinking part of it. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting that you brought that part up.
1: So mine is more mental than it yes. is. My my compulsion doesn't manifest itself outwardly in that same way. Right. Um, but it's still the obsessive loop. Like You get in a loop in your right. head. Mm-hmm. And you literally cannot stop thinking out the loop. Yes. You, you cannot. And um, it's hard to explain that to someone who doesn't understand that. And you're like, I can't. It's like, it's like a music track is playing in there. And it's also, it's often, I mean, I can't say 100% of the time, but, but very mass majority of the time, a negative loop. Right. So you're looping on something, you're obsessing on something negative. Um, that, you know, it can be, this can be anything. Like if you were awkward in a conversation, you'll just loop the awkward thing that you said over and over and over and over and over till you can't sleep. Mm-hmm. Or it can be, did I turn the stove off? And then you, if you're out and about doing your errands, you, you almost can't drive another block because you cannot stop thinking that you've left the stove on and, and you have to go back to alleviate it. Even if, you double checked in your driveway.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm
1: You still think you th- you get confused in your head, and you think there's some chance. Yes. That it's still on, or that you your check didn't count, or it's very it's a it's a destructive loop, and so you know ruin it can really affect your day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Yes. So after I was a teen, so as a teenager, I you know, teenagers have, their, you have the hormones and the angst anyway, and the different kinds of pressures. And I had anxieties as a teenager. That's when I said I started to panic, have some panic. But I was, I I coped pretty darn well, I think, as a teenager through high school and college, had a successful time in those seasons of my life. When I moved to Los Angeles, I was really heartbroken. I was in kind of a state of depression. And that brings out all the demons. Yes. So everything that you're able to cope with in a healthy state, because in my healthiest of days, I'm still an anxious person. So um, when you're in a bad way and you're having a bad season or you're going through something, um, and there's no getting around going through something. Everybody goes through something. I Things came out that I, I felt like I had no idea of how to cope. It was beyond what anything I had experienced before then. So, and I was living in a new place and 9-11 happened and, you know, lots and lots, lots of the things. And so I, um, that was almost one of the hardest seasons of my life because I was like, I don't, I have absolutely no idea how to, no one has ever taught me ever how to deal with it. The coping mechanisms that I came up with I came up with on my own, like the ball bouncing, some of the repetitive behaviors, those those aren't the anxiety itself. Those are coping mechanisms to the anxiety.
0: Makes sense, right.
1: So um, those are things I had done in childhood, different things that, whatever, you know, we can talk about different ways that we've handled it, different coping mechanisms, healthy and unhealthy, that you come up with. um, I had all come up with on my own. No one had ever told me, not a parent, not a teacher, not an authority figure, had ever said, you know you will better serve yourself, um, if you learn to do this. I had never done that. I had never taken medication. I had never treated it in a, in a true way. And until I was, um, living out here and it was, it was a, you know, a really hard season, you know, 20s are hard for different reasons, but I weathered it. And, um, we can talk about the ways in which I weathered it, and then, and then, I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I was not super newly married. We'd been married a few years when I got pregnant, but well, again, you're in a time of life where you don't have control over all the things,
0: <laughs> right? Very much so. You know, hormones oh, yeah. and
1: natural fears. Um, sure that are going to come up anyway. So again, it was as, you know, it was like the angry beast arose again. And, uh, it was very hard for me for years, um, having little children, being pregnant, having a child, being pregnant again, having another child, having little children that were two and newborn and then three and one, um, and all kinds of things was, was, really hard. And by then I had some different coping mechanisms, but those are just going to be hard seasons, no matter what, they're just going to be hard. And you learn to live with it and you hopefully aren't just white knuckling it through your life. Right. Which I was, I've definitely had weeks and months where I was just white knuckling it, but it's been about two years now, a year and a half for sure. Where I've been a quote unquote normal <laughs>
0: <laughs> the most normal you've ever been <laughs> I, a,
1: a normal adult living with anxiety. So for me, I um, will always have anxiety. I've had it my whole life. It's ebbs and flows, and I have each I learned all kinds of new ways to deal with it and each season I think you might deal with it in a different way and whatever. but I um. I feel right now, especially wanting to talk about it, because I feel like I'm in a, a better place with my anxiety than I have been in a while. I know that won't always be true. So when you're in like a place of light, you just want to share all the messages. So, so that's yeah. that's where I am.
0: I'm so thankful that you're so willing to talk about this because it's given me the courage to share my story. And we're going to talk about, in just a few minutes, talk about some of those healthy coping mechanisms that you have been able to put together and what has worked in different seasons of your life. So as I said, my story of anxiety is very, very different from Lara's because my anxiety has been adult onset. I did not have a lot of those symptoms that that Laura talked about. Although I did, I've never really made this connection. I did used to have canker sores really bad when I was a kid and teenager, not so much now. But when I was growing up, I did get canker sores and they were often connected to stressful times for sure. In fact, on my wedding day, my mouth was filled with canker sores on my wedding day. That was no fun. So... Some of those things, I just never made the connection between what I was going through mentally and then the physical stuff of it. So my story is different in that I, for a long time, my only reference point for the idea of anxiety at all was that it was synonymous with worry. Mm. Now, can the two be related? Sure, they definitely can be. But I grew up in a home with one parent who does have severe mental health issues So I actually saw some of these behaviors that I now know to be anxiety and other mental health related issues um, played out, but I just had no idea what actual anxiety was. But I did grow up in a church context where worry was talked about often. And it definitely had a component of shame attached to it because, and I'm not saying this is true across the board for Christianity, but in the strain of Christianity I grew up in, in a fairly conservative evangelical context, worry is often discussed as being, you know, at best a bad habit, but at worst sinful. Because what worry conveys in in the context of the teachings I came up under Worry conveys that you don't trust God to take care of everything for you, right? Mm -hmm. So any worries that came up, I felt like were either a sin issue for me or a character weakness. I did not understand that there is a very big difference between being worried about something and having anxiety. And I am confident that through my years of not understanding what anxiety was, I know for sure that I have talked to friends, but particularly family members who are struggling with anxiety and said things like, just take some deep breaths. Let's pray about this. It's going to be okay. And in, in my heart, truly believed that I was offering the best that I could offer to that person who was having this struggle that Anna can now see was very clearly bigger than worry. It was a, an actual anxiety manifestation
1: because it well anxiety wasn't I don't remember the first time I heard that word but it was not I didn't hear that word as a child for sure I mean that actual word attached to a condition right was not used it, I mean yeah. even towards me even though my parents knew that I you know was a little bit of an odd duck they just thought it was the way I was they sure. didn't, there was no there was no label or attachment like there I mean there's no yeah label like there is now.
0: That is so true. And honestly, Laura, it was one of your pieces that you wrote at Hollywood Housewife. This was before I started having anxiety problems of my own, but you wrote a piece called Deep Breaths Are Not the Answer. And you talked about what anxiety and having a panic attack and some of these other things felt like for you. And I noted that because, again, I had always been one who thought, like, if you can just settle down and take some deep cleansing breaths, everything's going to be okay. So I sort of just, like, made note of that. Later in life, um, so if if you're new to the show, you may not know I have four kids. I have um, our daughters are ten and eight, and then our twins are two and a half. I made it through both pregnancies and births and postpartum times with my girls with really very few complications, very textbook for the most part, really um, was quite fortunate in that. Then the twins came along, and though their pregnancy was nothing on the scale of what some women go through to, to go through a healthy twin pregnancy, it was stressful in the way that growing two humans inside of your body <laughs> is stressful. <laughs> two humans. Two humans. So after they were born, well, when when I was giving birth to them, and it was through cesarean section, I now know that I was real. I was truly having a panic attack. I could not get it under control. I wasn't hysterical, but I thought I actually might have been having a heart attack. And I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm going to actually die while I'm giving birth to the twins, and Kyle's going to be left with four kids by himself. Um, it was like during that moment, that sort of moment of mental trauma, again, I cannot... My story can, does not even compare to what some women go through with, with giving birth to twins. But in that moment, it was such a mental trauma for me that it was like it was like the anxiety switch for my brain got turned on. I mm-hmm. didn't know it at the time. And mm-hmm. so I went into a postpartum time with them, didn't know it, but I had pretty bad postpartum depression. I had never had it before, didn't know what it looked like. I won't go into that whole story because that's not actually really related to my anxiety struggles, but it took friends who I would describe like some of the things I was going through and struggling with. And it took friends saying to me, first of all, you have postpartum depression. And then secondly, some of the things that I was talking about, I had people point out like that sounds like anxiety. So I kind of started turning that over in my head. And the biggest way that anxiety manifests for me now in my life post twins and and figuring out how to navigate anxiety is for me, I don't have a lot of those classic symptoms of anxiety, I guess. Mine is when I'm having a bad anxiety day, I feel like somebody's strangling me. I feel pressure right in my throat. And before I knew that was anxiety, Laura, I really, I thought I had cancer. (laughs) I had the weirdest thing. I um, had discovered a sort of suspicious mole that I knew I needed to go in and have a dermatologist check out. And in my mind, I went to a place of this mole is cancer and it has spread and I somehow have throat cancer. And that's why I'm feeling this pressure in my throat. It was that physical. It was not just in my mind that I felt like I was strangling. It was that physical that I thought there's a growth in there is how profound it was. I had no idea that that could be No, it's very anxiety.
1: physical. Anxiety is often very, very physical, which people don't think that. People who don't understand it think it's just some mental hurdle or right. what. I don't know what they think. But there yes. are a lot of different kinds of physical manifestations. And, yes. and feeling strangled is one of them. On, on a side note, and, and I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> I, when I have bad anxiety, I can't complete a yawn.
0: Oh, now that's interesting.
1: Like I'll start to yawn and it'll sort of strangle. It'll like swallow. I
0: don't, it'll like swallow on itself. Like I can't yawn all the way out. That is interesting. Aren't our bodies amazing and mysterious machines? Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to explain that, but I can totally see how that would be the thing that you feel. So it took me a long time to realize that those strangly feelings were anxiety. And I don't even remember, there wasn't like an epiphany moment but eventually I kind of pieced them together. I really started to piece it together after I had my first panic attack. My first panic attack helped me to really, for the first time, understand the difference between worry and anxiety because I feel like, and again, this is just my perspective, I'm not a professional, but I feel like a lot of times worry has like a reasonable explanation. So you know, like, um, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job, or uh, kids are bullying my little kid at school. Those are reasonable things to have worry over. You can kind of talk about it. And again, a lot of people find it helpful to pray or meditate to deal with those worried feelings. There's something that you can pinpoint. For me, a lot of times anxiety, sometimes it might have a pinpointable origin, but sometimes it doesn't. My brain will just like start to to like go into this panicky place for reasons that are not really that unsafe or weird um, or out of the ordinary for life. So my first panic attack, I was, I can remember it very clearly, I was in our dining room. I was packing a big box of baby clothes that the twins had outgrown. I was sending them to a friend of a friend who had twin boys about six months after ours were born. And so the twins had outgrown all of these clothes. I was packing this big box. I was going to take it to the post office by myself. And I had, I started to feel like I was gasping for air. My heart was pounding. I felt like I was just gulping for air and I couldn't catch my breath. And there was this one part of my mind, one part of my brain that was like, why are we freaking out (laughs) about packing a box of clothes to ship to somebody? But there is this other part of my brain I don't know what triggered it but there was some part of my brain that was completely panicked about this situation and that was when I started to really realize Wait, were you
1: emotionally panicked or were you like panicked about and I'm asking cuz I've experienced this where you're like I I cannot get in the car and drive to the post I cannot do this task right. like I'm so panicked about the task or were you panicked it wasn't about the emotion of saying goodbye to the baby clothes.
0: So, I think in retrospect, I think there must have been some kind of way down underneath emotional thing of the twins and outgrowing baby clothes. Uh, again, a lot of my anxiety started with their birth, so it w- I wouldn't be surprised if we untangled the whole thing, if it like tweaked a certain emotion about that, but I wasn't have I wasn't crying. I was panicked, like, I cannot get into the car and take this to the post office. Mm-hmm. And I, it makes no reasonable sense to try to explain it. But that was what happened. It helped me to understand that that worry is somewhat reasonable, but anxiety can, you, there's no reasoning with anxiety. It's like, worry can be talked back from the edge of the cliff a lot of times anxiety on the other hand it's like anxiety is convinced that you are like hurtling towards the cliff full speed and the brakes just went out i mean it's just such a panic for me again this is how it manifests for me Mm -hmm. um so kind of got through that postpartum time but i did still i would find that mine does seem to be triggered by hormonal changes so every cycle i go through some mild anxiety now I have found some ways. We'll talk about that in a minute. Found some ways to cope with that. But every now and again, though, I will still get triggered by something that really happens, and it'll and I'll go to a really bad place in my brain. For example, last fall, a little girl in our hometown yours and my our hometown was kidnapped playing in she was playing in uh, her neighborhood was kidnapped. I read the news reports about it, and I got obsessed with the story about it, obsessed with her and what had happened to her. And I started to transfer a lot of my, um, you know, just heartbreak and angst over that situation onto my own kids to where we've lived in this neighborhood for years. And I know it's totally safe, but, um, the girls would walk out and walk across the street to go to a friend's house. And I would start to, I felt like I had to watch them all the way there. And I needed to know exactly when they were coming back. And I'm talking about across the street, not around the block, I had to watch them the whole time, and I, I just have this panicky feeling. I was just so sure that something terrible was going to happen to one of my kids if I wasn't watching them all the time. And I don't know that seemed to trigger it. And then all of a sudden, one day, I wasn't. It didn't bother me anymore. And I don't really have a specific ex- explanation for why. But that was another. That was one of my probably biggest anxiety events that I've had after the postpartum period. So mine has been a long journey in figuring out what anxiety looks like for myself and how to stay on top of it to not just let it spiral to intervene for myself to intervene and get on top of things as much as I can to kind of uh, help my body and my brain to regulate a little bit better. So we've talked about we've alluded to the fact that we both have come up with some coping strategies, some ways to navigate this anxiety stuff. I would love to hear what worked for you in the past and kind of what's working for you now.
1: Okay. Um, And I've tried lots of different things. I will say when I moved to Los Angeles, that was the first time that I sought medical help with it. It was so bad. And because it was coupled with this this heartbreak I was going through, I recognized I was in a bad way. I mean, there was no, I mean, there was no denying it. (laughs) I was in a bad way. And that was the first time. And I called a family doctor, um, that I'd had my whole life and he prescribes for me, um, an anti-anxiety medication called Paxil. I have actually no idea if that's still on the market and if it's, and it was something that you take every day, which i You know, I had some hesitations on. I didn't want to be on something long-term or because since I did know that this was anxiety, something that I had always had, this wasn't new. So I I had some hesitations getting, at that time, getting on a medication that I thought might be indefinite or something. But uh, I also knew I I needed something. I did not care for that particular medication. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the way it made me feel. It made me feel jittery and, you know. It did not work for me. But I've had friends who have been on things daily for, you know, stretches of time that have miraculously changed their life. So I do think that medical professionals are the best to evaluate that. And Mm -hmm. especially because I think there's different drugs that speak to if it feels hormone-related, as you were discussing, or or, – you know, OCD things or, you know, there's all kinds of different things. And I have not ever taken that route. So I don't even want to speak to that much, except to say that I tried that and didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And I only tried it once and it was a long time ago. You know, things change. That did not work for me. The thing that has worked for me the most, that has actually changed my life. And I don't use that superlative lightly in this context, even though I do use that superlative all the time.
0: (laughs) But this is serious. <laughs> but this time, I really
1: mean it. No, truly, this has changed the you know almost the trajectory of my life, and that is uh, starting therapy.
0: Mm. Yes.
1: So I started therapy about two and a half years ago. It was in the spring of 2013. Our family was going through a lot of things. We had a lot of stresses. We had some extended family members who were very ill. Um. Uh. My youngest child was having a lot of sleep problems. And so we were all sleep deprived and on edge. And I was just shaky. One of the things that when I'm in not having good days, I get almost as if I have consistent, like low blood sugar. Like I'm like shaky. You know, you get that kind of shaky. Right. Yes. Like, like your light is a feather you're going to blow away if yes. you don't. That's one of the ways that I feel. And I was feeling that way like daily. So I started going to therapy and I really in my heart thought that I was going to therapy for some of these family issues and some of these external things that were happening. I was like, I have to like talk through some of these things. And I and I plan to tell her I have had lifelong anxiety, but to me that's like saying, and my eyes are blue. Right. But then these other things are going on. Yes, you know? Yes. So going to therapy and I went weekly absolutely changed the way that i coped with my anxiety you know and there, i could i could extol the virtues of therapy f- on a lot of different paths but what she taught me to do first and foremost was to be an adult about this thing and figure out what my triggers were and avoid them because for me at that time i was in my early 30s I was still dealing with my anxiety kind of in the same way that I dealt with it when I was 12. You know, I had certain coping mechanisms that did get me through the day. And then I I could pull myself together for certain periods of time and stuff. She was like, that is not good enough. We have to figure out what really sends you down. Because there's a lot of things in life that you cannot control. You cannot control tragedies that happen. You cannot control all kinds of hardships. And so you have to... Be aware of the things that you can control in order to be your best self. So through a lot of talking and trial and error and all kinds of things, we realized that my number one trigger um, is sleep. I require more sleep than the average person and when I am sleep deprived, I panic And not the first day. I mean, you have sick kids. Like, life goes on. But if I'm sort of, if I have several days in a row, um, I mean, sometimes it even is just one day. I don't want to diminish that. But sleep deprivation for me, uh, everything else spins out from that. Right. So she helped me notice that. She helped me notice some other things. So just sort of taking an adult stand on it as opposed to my cobbled together.
0: (laughs) Right. Yes. Whatever
1: I'd figured out ways. Yes. um, Really forced me to be aware of the patterns in my life. And, you know, too much caffeine will also do it for me. That one was really hard because I enjoy caffeine and it's helpful. (laughs) So one of the things that is helpful can also be detrimental. Mm -hmm. And that is you know, a a pretty hard pill to swallow. But so her forcing me to recognize and acknowledge and then change the patterns that were doing me no favors Mm -hmm. have been, have just changed how I think about and live with my anxiety, totally. So therapy is the number one thing, I would say.
0: That's so great. That's so great. Sometimes you do just need not only an outside perspective. I mean, all of us can sit down with our, girlfriends or spouses or whatever and say, these are my things that are going on. And that can be helpful to a point, but sometimes you do need that person who is a professional, who is trained to recognize the patterns that you yourself cannot see because you're so close to it and say, okay, what I'm hearing from you is this, this, and this, let's see how we can work to eliminate the impact these things have. So, so great.
1: and she's not my friend, and she's not my spouse. Right. And she's not, you know, she doesn't have all. She's not bringing all these other things to the table. Sure, you know, if it was, if it was a family member who might say, and and my husband Jeff would never say this because he actually is really wonderful about all the accommodations I need in my life, <laughs> but he would never. But someone might say, you know, like I see that you need extra sleep, but that's you can't have it because that's not where we are right now. Right, you know? so. Talking to someone who doesn't have any other mm-hmm. vested interest in my behaviors other than making me better, right, was huge. Yes. The other thing is, and I've had this off and on for, you know, since I was like probably twenty, is I do have a prescription for Xanax, which is a medication. Um, but you do not; you can take Xanax every day, but I don't. That's not how I have been instructed to use it. Medical. Inst- Professionals have instructed me to use it is when I am um, approaching a panic attack. Mm -hmm. When I'm in, like, intimate anxiety danger land. Yes. I do not take Xanax that often. I only take it when I know that I'm in a place I can't pull out of just by a good night's sleep or whatever. Right. But what I want to say about it is just having the prescription makes me feel better.
0: Right. I'm sure it does.
1: Even if I never take the actual pill, just knowing that it is there in my cabinet as a life raft makes me feel like, okay, and, and I'll talk myself, it, and I don't necessarily suggest this for everyone, but I'll be like, I'm going to see if I can go another hour if, and don't need it or another day and don't need it. Um, but I know it's there. Right. It is a life raft for me. That's so That good. is huge. Yeah. That is huge.
0: So good. So good. Thank you for sharing those ways. Like you said, I mean, I think a a big part of any mental health, well, really any health issue is to you have to allow yourself the freedom to, um, again, in a safe way to sort of figure out what works. Um, tinker and tweak things and keep pressing forward if the traditional or the you know the most common approach doesn't work for you to keep pushing ahead and keep searching for that thing that is going to work for your specific body and body chemistry. Um, some of the things that have worked for me, and I also have kind of experimented with a lot of different approaches, The number one thing I've mentioned on the show before, the number one thing that I use that is my life raft (laughs) for sure is L-theanine, which is a supplement that's derived from uh, green tea extract. I get it in capsule form, in powder form, and I just, if I feel, I have learned finally when those anxiety, then that panic starts creeping up, when my throat starts feeling constricted. I don't mess around with it anymore. For a long time, I don't even know why. There's no reasonable explanation for this. I tried to like just power through, you know, and just like gut it out. I'm like, I don't have time for that anymore. When I very first start to feel it coming on, I'll grab a little bit of L theanine. It helps me to come back into balance and to not have, especially those physical manifestations can be really exhausting. Mm -hmm. Even if you can power through it. I mean, at the end of the day, I would just feel wrung out from having that constant, like like that low vibrancy hum in the background the whole day is what anxiety feels like a lot for me. And so just to be able to be like, I'm going to go hit up my L-theanine and and help let that help me get back on track. Another thing, you kind of touched on this with the caffeine thing for me even though I love the stuff, Diet Coke, if I drink too much of it, it is bad and it will send me into anxiety land. It's usually not the first day I've had too much. It's usually like the second day I'll start to feel it. And I'm like, I, I love it, but it is bad. (laughs) And I got to pull back from the Diet Coke. That's been hugely helpful. I have had some success with some essential oil blends. There's two that Plant Therapy makes that I have been the only ones that have really helped me. I use these more as a preventative. They do not help in that acute moment when the anxiety is actually already onset. It's not. They don't help me in that time, but as a preventative, there are two blends. It used to be called anti-anxiety. Now they call it stress free. And the other one is self-esteem. I don't know what it is about those particular blends, but when I use those together, they're a great preventative. And another one that I actually learned from you—that I think you learned from your therapist. <laughs> was the ability to make myself get in the moment. Mm. So if I'm standing at the kitchen sink and I'm washing up dishes and my mind is racing ahead because a lot of my anxiety is related to the future, what's not getting done, what's gonna happen if I don't get this done, that's a really big one for me. The ability to pull all of that back and get in the moment and like literally, if I'm washing dishes, focus on, what do my hands feel like in this warm, soapy water? What does the dish feel like in my hand? Um, If I'm, you know, playing with the boys or changing their diapers or giving them a bath to focus on the physical sensations that I'm really feeling that are the concrete things that I'm really experiencing at that moment can really help me to dial it back and to get out of that headspace where I am completely panicked about what I'm not doing, what I haven't gotten to, what, you know, what spinning plates have been dropped. That one has been really profoundly helpful for me and I use it a lot actually.
1: A variation on that is because I am a overfunctioner, so you know some people when they're experiencing a lot of emotion or anxiety or whatever it is with them, will either become an underfunctioner like they can do nothing, they're like paralyzed and mm-hmm. can't get out of bed or mm-hmm. something. And then there's people who are overfunctioners um, I'm a chronic and consistent overfunctioner, where when I am feeling crazy, I say yes to everything that's ever been asked of me, right. ever of all time. Yes, and you can see it. I'll pump out ten blog posts. I'll yes. throw three parties. I'll call everybody back that's in my phone. I mean, I like I just become like an insane machine. And it's not good. It may look, I I can even convince myself I'm being very productive. But what's actually happening is I'm having Mm -hmm. extreme amounts of anxiety. So a variation on being in the moment is I have to physically make myself move slowly. So I'm saying I walk down the stairs like one at a time, like Mm -hmm. step, step step, step. It feels ridiculous in the moment. Like you're like, I'm, I mean, I look like, what do I look like? <laughs> but I have to physically, I cannot be rushing around. I, I will brush my hair slowly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I will like, I you, I have to make my body for, you know, 30 minutes or not in, you don't do that all day, but like, you know, I can't be like rushing and rushing and hurrying and blah, blah, blah. That makes everything so much worse that I have to be like, I'm now going to move slowly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you can't do things that are moving fast. So like I can't turn on Twitter that moves fast, you know, it's almost like a, it's like all this stimulant Mm. um, for a lot of people is a terrible trigger for anxiety.
0: That is um, so good. I'm so glad you mentioned that. because that, So much yeah.
1: stimulation. All the voices coming at them from social media, from their phone, from a reality show that has, that is very fast moving and crazy. You know, like a lot of that stuff makes everything worse. And when I'm in my bad way, I'm doing all the things. Mm-hmm. I have Twitter on and I'm watching Real Housewives <laughs> and I'm massively cleaning the kitchen all at the same time.
0: Right, right, yes. And yes. I'm like, I am a speed demon.
1: <laughs> and really, I'm like, you're a crazy person.
0: <laughs> yes, but now you have grown to the point where you're self-aware enough to be like, hmm, I'm going to stop and step back and think about what I'm doing right now.
1: <laughs> a lot of the time, but I'm be, But they're so bad, I'll be like, I'm just going to finish the cleaning and then I'll
0: step back. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know,
1: which is, uh, you know, I half adult and half not. Another thing that has really helped me is, and this is new to me, so I can't speak of this with utmost authority, but in this summer, basically I've started meditating and I know that meditation is very popular right now and I'm all for it. I think that's great. There's a, there's apps out there for it. There's uh, books that guide you. There's classes. There's all kinds of things. But for me, just getting centered, focusing on breath, it's, the, it's almost the same thing as moving slow. In fact, the moving slow that I was describing is, is almost meditation itself.
0: It really is. It really is. It's like meditating with your whole body when you are yes. slowing down and experiencing each of your movements.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, and then when you do that, because you know a lot of people can't in their day um, rearrange all all the time. But for me, a way to get out of my head, I'm not just going to sit and meditate for for three hours. Is I need to do something that takes me out of the acuteness, if if I'm if I can, which is reading a book. Mm, yeah. And all of that is is all of that we're talking about right now is just being very self-aware because I know you like to talk about Myers Briggs stuff all the time and you know, personality stuff isn't my thing, but the introverted part of that is my thing. So I know just like the sweet the sleep issue, if I have not had time to myself to recharge, that's another trigger for me. So you have to kind of just be aware of what your own things are. Now, my introversion issues are not – you can be very introverted and not have anxiety. Oh, sure,
0: sure. Right. You know,
1: they're not necessarily things that are tied together. But for me, because that's a thing for me that that centers me, being by myself is what brings me great joy. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Then I I have to be – you have to just be self-aware of like what is making me so crazy? Is it that I have not had – Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you don't know and you just don't know and it just is what it is. But if there are things that you can look at and be like, I haven't had five minutes to myself. I haven't been getting enough sleep. I've had too much caffeine. I'm so worried about um, this issue in my life that I'm overcompensating 400 times in this other issue. You just have to be self-aware about it. That Thank is the, the biggest. And that's true in medication, in natural remedies, in whatever. That is the biggest key to... Coping with anxiety is the self-awareness.
0: It really is. It really is. As I mentioned earlier in the show, my sister Emily has had lifelong anxiety and only in the past year or so has begun to figure out her own coping mechanisms. She shared three with me that I'm going to throw out there if you all want some other avenues to pursue. Uh, One of them is a practice called tapping, which is emotional freedom technique. And it's basically the idea that you combine tapping your fingertips on emotional acupuncture points on your body, and you repeat a script. And it sounds a little, it sounds like it's not very approachable when you first like, hear what it's about, but you can find tons of YouTube videos that will demonstrate for you what it looks like what the tapping motion actually looks like, and it will give you, you can find tons of scripts either by Googling or on YouTube uh, for uh, different scripts to tackle almost any problem. If you're battling some anxiety, if you um, are, I mean, really people use tapping for all kinds of things, weight loss, to quit smoking, all kinds of stuff, but it really seems to have helped my sister with her anxiety issues. Another practice that she picked up from her counselor is called autogenics, which is a fancy word that for something that you may already be familiar with it's the idea of teaching your brain to relax like muscle by muscle and it helps you to self-produce that feeling of just kind of warmth and heaviness that helps to for a lot of people helps them to reel in that acute anxiety it's called autogenics and i'll leave a, a link or two in the show notes if you want to explore that more And then thirdly for her, this is an example, Laura, of what you were just talking about, figuring out your own triggers. Her biggest thing, she's a teacher. She has started this year, she doesn't have to be on campus until eight o'clock, but she started getting there at seven in the morning because she has figured out that a really big cushion of time Really helps her to not have those anxious feelings to start out the day. She doesn't have to battle traffic as much. She has time to get everything organized and the way she wants it in her room before the kids get there. And so, way more than she ever has in the past, she has figured out I have to have a big cushion of time, not just for school, for anything, but school is something she has to show up for on a daily basis. And so I hope what you, if you're listening, and I and you maybe struggle with anxiety, or you have loved ones or friends who are struggling with anxiety. I hope what you're hearing from Laura and I is anxiety is can be a really big monster that looks different for a lot of people. But the great thing is, in this world of information and resources, there are so many different approaches that you can pursue for taming that monster. And like Laura said, it may be something that. That you do have to deal with always, but you can sharpen your skills for coping to where you are self-aware and you are able to stay on top of it. The other thing too, and I'm so glad that Laura shared her story of childhood onset anxiety, is I have started to see some of these manifestations of anxiety in one of my children and whereas in the past i definitely would have been like okay let's sit down let's take some deep breaths now i understand that we need to find some strategies for dealing with this that go way beyond deep breaths that really are going to teach this child what it looks like to recognize these things as they are happening and what are the best solutions for this moment in time in fact i found on Pinterest of all places, I found a really great article from a psychologist who also happens to be a blogger. Her blog is called Hey Sigmund. The name of the article is Anxiety in Kids, How to Turn It Around and Protect Them for Life. I'll leave a link in the show notes, but you could also just look it up. It has some really practical approaches to helping children with anxiety, specific words to use, specific techniques to help them to understand what is happening in their bodies and in their brains, and helping them to feel empowered to deal with this as it comes up for them. So I'm so glad, Laura, that you were able to share your story of what this looked like in childhood for you, because I know that is going to reach parents out there.
1: And I also want to say that If you have not spoken it out loud to someone that you're having anxiety, that there is so much freedom in that. Yes. So even though I've had a lot of anxiety things my whole life, I was really scared to appear high maintenance to my husband. Mm. Mm -hmm. I always, I mean, it's been this way with lots of people for my parents, for it. I never wanted someone to have to go out of their way for my issue and so all of my coping mechanisms have always been very private and i never wanted to even um it wasn't really shame based it's hard to it was more just like i didn't i it was more
0: just like you didn't want to inconvenience people i didn't with want your to inconvenience issue. people mm-hmm.
1: so i could talk about it but i always presented it like but i have it handled mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. And that's how it was with my husband. He knew all of these things about me and had even witnessed them on occasion. We have had to leave restaurants when I've had a panic attack for various food issues. But so he's seen it. He knows it's real. He's never questioned any of that part of my story. But I never wanted him to ever have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. That to me would have been like it was really out of control if that was true. Right. But when I got to a place where I couldn't deal with it on my own, when I, this is right before I started therapy, and finally started tentatively saying to him, I'm having a hard time, so much so that I am not sure how to handle it. He was nothing but supportive, like, well, call a doctor. What do you, what do you mean?
0: (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes.
1: And I was like, well, why had I not said it before? So if you're having like a fear of being high maintenance or, you, ha- you know, maybe you're in a family or a faith tradition or whatever that sort of scoffs at mental health issues. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Speaking these words out loud are freeing.
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: Um, to a friend, to a spouse, whoever the first person in your life, maybe that you want to say it to a coworker, if that's a relationship there, to just say like I'm I'm having this feeling or these sort of symptoms, and the more you speak about it, the more light that streams into it.
0: It's so true. It is so true. The more you can bring it out into the light, it's scary at first, but it really makes a profound difference. I'm the same way. I don't even go into a long explanation with Kyle. I'll just say, I'm having a bad anxiety day. And more often than not, his only response is, how can I help you? I mean, he's there to support me, especially since he works from home. He's there. It's never about like shaming or, or trying to fix it. You know, he's just I'm here. If you need me, tell me what I can do. That's true.
1: Jeff doesn't try to fix it either. Jeff has no anxiety. He literally does not relate to it on any level. But he believes me. Right. And a thing that I've learned in my life, there is so much value. I've been thinking about this a lot with my kids. There is so much value to someone looking at you and just saying, I believe you.
0: Right. That's huge. It's huge.
1: It's huge because I actually don't need him to do anything. I mean, he can't, you know, unless I'm needing time to myself or sometimes which he which he will do, or he'll remind me to get more sleep or something. But but really, there's not there's not anything he can actually do, but him just saying, I believe you. Right. Let's let's adjust our day. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's almost like what I was saying about having the Xanax. Just knowing that that's his reaction, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling better already.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's it really true. It is so true. It is. Yes. Um, gosh, this has been such a good conversation. Just such a good conversation. Such an important one. Thank you all for letting us share these things that have been on our heart. We, Laura and I really have been talking about doing this show for months. So I so appreciate you all making space for this. As you are listening to the show, again, I know it's not the most <laughs> positive, upbeat topic we've covered, but we do feel like it's important, and we would love to hear follow-up thoughts from you. So, Laura, if you would take just a minute to remind us of where we can find you all around the web.
1: I am always at hollywoodhousewife.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Hollywood H-Wife, and on Facebook as The Hollywood Housewife.
0: Okay. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Sorta Awesome Meg. Don't forget the show has its own Instagram now, Sorta Awesome Show. You can find us there. I'm sure we will have some follow-up conversation on today's discussion of anxiety over on Instagram. You can also always find us in the Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. Thanks so much for joining us today at Sorta Awesome. Show notes for this and every episode are available at sortaawesomemegan.tumblr.com. While you're there, you can click on the Ask Us link to submit your questions for an upcoming episode. You can also sign up for the show's newsletter, which includes extra tidbits of awesome, by going to tinyletter.com slash sortaawesome. If you are enjoying the show, it would be incredibly awesome if you would subscribe rate and review the show in itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts i have to give a shout out to the band prager for allowing us to use the song strut for our in and out music to find out more about prager's nasty beats and pretty chords go to pragermusic.com and i'll meet you back here next time as we discover explore and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome